Welcome back to Following Know It On, a Stormlight podcast. This week is episode 40. We have done 40 of these episodes. In We started last year in June and is now February. We've done these for, for 40 weeks now. How are we feeling? Uh, uh, Paul, uh, we'll start with you. Doing great. I didn't, wow, 40 episodes really snuck up on me. Um, didn't realize we were quite there yet. Uh, lots of good stuff to unpack this week, though. Looking forward to it. Elliot? 40, 40 does feel like a cool milestone. That's that's quite a ways. And it's been a been an awesome journey, and it's only getting only getting better the further we go. Yeah. We are doing chapters 60 through 64 of Words of Radiance, our first big chunk in part four. Do you, Elliot, we'll start with you this week. Do you have two words to summarize these chapters? I'm going to cheat a little bit this week and sneak in a third, but it's just a little prep. doesn't count. My two words for these chapters are Sea of Spheres. Okay. Mm. We, we've argued that as long as you hyphenate, it's still, this, it's still one word, so just hyphenate one of those and you're good. Totally. So is it Sea of Spheres? Or Sea of, of Spheres. Sea of Spheres. Okay. Okay. Uh, Paul, cool. do, you, two words. do you have two words? I do have two words. Uh, my two words for this week are intentional and maniacal. Okay. Intentional and maniacal and sea of spheres. We can mm-hmm. discuss these words here in a second. All right, let's talk about let's talk about maniacal first. I like that word. Okay. Um maniacal, it's very much aimed at the Devar the, the Shalon flashback chapter. Okay. Uh 61. Her dad is very yeah. maniacal. I can easily say he is my least like most the character I have the most disdain for of everyone we've met. Um, can easily say that. Whoa, about... that's. I mean, we've met a lot of we've met a lot of people. That's quite the claim. Yeah, we've we've definitely met a lot, but I think he's definitely the the worst out of everyone we've met. If animal cruelty is up on your list, then absolutely. So, I I, I could agree with you. It's and... more than just animal cruelty, but yeah, that's yeah. true. And your other word? Uh, intentional. Uh, it mostly is pertaining to our Kaladin chapter with uh, Dalinar. He it is... Uh, I'm very happy about it because he's very straightforward and intentional with what he has to do, uh, where they're at. Sounds like I'm talking about a relationship right now, but he's very <laughs> clear with his intentions. <laughs> um, uh, in a good way, and uh, it's something that really stuck out to me uh, over throughout these chapters. So. Okay, let's push it back over to Elliot. Your two and a half words. So, Sea of Spheres. 
We're going to talk about this towards the end of the episode, so I don't want to spoil too much. I'm going to actually, to explain my words, read you a quote from the end of chapter 64. This is Shalon talking. It's like that sea of spheres. I've fallen in, and it isn't that the water is over my head. It's that the stuff isn't even water, and I have no idea how to swim in it. And I picked that just because I thought that was such a cool metaphor for just how in Shalon is at this point, just how much like the scope of this story has just expanded and how just we are, we are in the deep end. Now we are into the real deal uh, at this point. So we'll, we'll talk about why once we, once we get there, but that's why I picked sea of spheres. Cool. We do have a spell check and it actually has to do with chapters 63 and 64. We have our favorites, creepy ghost blood lady who wears a mask all the time and she gives her name in these in these chapters and we're referring to her as this from now on elliot always gets to go first here i don't know if that's a advantage or disadvantage but uh elliot go ahead i think it's an advantage on this word this one seems perhaps straightforward to pronounce i would not want to try and spell this so Good luck, Paul. I, I don't envy you. I uh, I want to say this. I, I definitely, in my head, every time I came across this this name, pronounced it as Eatil. Sorry. Eatil. Eatil? Okay. Eatil. Paul, how do they say it in the audiobook, if you remember? It's Yatil. Yatil is how they say okay. it. Um, and every time... We have a spell check. I come in all confident having written my little <laughs> yes. And then Elliot says it's some very different way. And I'm like, wait, what? Excuse me. Um, so for Mrs. Yatil, I went with, I kind of shoved the name together and went almost like a Yasna route but shorter, so I went J-A-H-T-L. You've had better weeks, and you've had worse weeks. So it is I-Y-A-T-I-L. It would be. And they say Yatil? <laughs> Yatil. So it's E-Yatil. Yep. Okay, I was just hearing the Yatil. I was like, the Y sounds always a J. And went from there. So, I, I getting the impression not just from the name, but from a little bit of the dialogue there that sh this seems like a character from some place we're not familiar with. Shalon even makes a comment like, "That's a strange name. Like I, I have no idea where that's from." And so I, I think you're at a disadvantage here, Paul, in that this I think is intentionally a name from like a region we're not familiar with. So things like the J sound that we're going for, like all those rules get get thrown out the window here. I think this is a new race if you will perhaps right fair let's do chapter 60 shallan and pattern are having a pretty typical conversation as far as those two are concerned which infers uh oath gates and 
you're a Thiru and Shallan's past and ignoring Shallan's past and all that cool stuff. So do either one of you want to want to pick this up? Any cool things you drew from this chapter? We get some geography, if you will, to kind of start us off. Shallan is, you know, trying to puzzle things out like she, she often is, which is very helpful for, for a first time reader to listen to Shallan kind of process this because it helps us process this too. She's talking about the city of Stormseat as the historical capital of Natanatan. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say that I'll stri- I'll give you a strike there. That that's Natanatan. Natanatan. Okay. Yes. That place, wherever that is. I should have done that one. Um you should probably should have. <laughs> and she's you know theorizing that Stormseat is perhaps on the Shattered Plains. And I guess this it amongst scholars. They, some people think it is, some people think it's not. Yasna apparently thought it was on the Shattered Plain. Shalon is going with that. Um, I guess the conclusion we might draw from this is perhaps this is the cities or, or, or the ruins of this city is where the Parshendi maybe are living in the in the middle of the, the Shattered Plains. I believe they, they have a name for it that we've heard before. Is it Narak? Narak. All the names. Yep. Aha. Got that one right, at least. Narak. Um, maybe, maybe they're living on, you know, the ruins of this old city storm seat, perhaps, at least that's where it's kind of getting. So, so some names getting thrown around and, and perhaps helping us get our bearings a little bit, but where she, where she goes with that next is probably the most intriguing part for me. She starts to talk about the 10 epic kingdoms, the, the 10 historical different segments of of Roshar and she talks about how this isn't the first time we've heard of Oathgate but we haven't heard a lot about Oathgates yet she Shalon talks about how each city perhaps had an Oathgate in them and they use these as like portals to travel to Urethiru Urethiru had like a conference room with thrones for all of the the different kingdoms and I couldn't help but just think how by that is how like you have these you know, different kingdoms or, or planets or whatever with, with portals that all lead to this one place and they can all just, you know, and have a, you know, a council meeting with, with all the different kingdoms and then step back through their portals out to, you know, their different uh, kingdoms they're at. So nifty kind of cool. Yeah. And just to just to clarify for our audio readers and listeners and Paul, that ep- epic is E P O C H, not E P I C. Which on my first read through, I definitely thought it was epic, as in you know, grand or whatever. Awesome. Yeah, isn't that pronounced like isn't that epoch? So we had this conversation before we went we went live, and I actually think it's epic. But if, it's definitely epoch. I comment down below because in the audiobook they say epic. Really, right? I'll have to go. I'll have to go re-listen because I've only ever heard that word epoch. Yeah, listeners, because I've heard this. I've heard this both ways as well. I I tend to lean towards epic, but my brain does also want to say epoch. 
maybe so. maybe I'm off. If so, that's totally fine. Least... But no, we're we're talking about epoch as the like you know period of time or this age or millennium kind of context for that word. Fair, fair. In my way of King's book, I don't know about Elliot's paperback, like mass market uh, way of King's. There's an there's an old uh, map of Roshar with like Alethala and a bunch of the old names. That's the that's the era we're talking about here with the ten old uh, old nations. But how how cool is this going to be if? Shallan does go out onto the Shattered Plains and somehow finds this portal takes you directly to Urethiru. Like, man, that's that's next level technology and, and stuff right there. We're no longer, you know, just talking about swords and bows and arrows. Now we've got portals that take you across the entire world. That's that's pretty crazy. Yeah. The the magic system that we've gotten so far is very finite so far. It's not very expansive. It's very individual oriented that the individual has like can have magic shard blades, shard plate, whatever a spren. But as far as the world goes, it's not super magic oriented yet. So we'll see if that, see if that happens. Speaking of Spren and self-induced magic, uh, Shalon has some uh, experiments with pattern and holding holding stormlight. I believe that's in this chapter, right? Yep. Yeah, Shalon is growing her abilities, or at least working on it. She she's able to imbue pattern with some stormlight and attach a illusion to him. I don't think she figures out how to get it to look like it's walking yet in this chapter. I think that comes later, but she's, she's learning. She's learning more. She's also trying to, she's trying to figure out how to have it make sound and she can't figure that out. And then pattern brings it up to her. It's like, well, you used to be able to do it. And Shalon conveniently blocks that out. So, That is the part that that caught my attention as well is Patter making that reference. Well, you've done it before. You're like, whoa, what what could that mean? And yes, it, you're right. It triggers like one of Shalon's, you know, blocking the little firewall to to block out that that memory. And so we know that those are tied with the you know traumatic memories that she has of her mother's and perhaps her father's death as well. So somewhere in all that, she has to have created an illusion that spoke. How does that all tie into what we know of what happened? We we suspect that Shalon may have been involved or even directly responsible for her mother's death. We're also guessing that she's responsible for her father's death, though we don't know that for sure by any means. How does a illusion work play into that? That I, 
I definitely I don't even have any don't even have any thoughts or guesses would work yet. I I don't fully get how they're correlated either. Um, I know that patterns whole deal is like say a truth um, or a lie, and uh, the stronger or more recessed, the better. Effectively, like the the least known, maybe. Right. Um, but we definitely know that as pattern. The, I feel like I feel like Shalon and pattern are kind of experimenting with each other here. Um, Shalon's kind of using pattern to try and figure out more things with search binding, and pattern is like, "Tell me more about yourself. <laughs> Tell me about your past trauma." And Shalon uh, definitely pushes back and says she even says i believe that um she is who she is today because she doesn't think about it she doesn't think about her past she doesn't talk about it um which is interesting for sure um so that's been a large part of shalon's development is finding out what it is that's so deeply recessed that has her so damaged um that's one of the reasons why i really despise uh her father like like i mentioned before um and we'll see some of that with the flashback chapter um every time we have a flashback chapter it's just more horrible things her dad does uh, which makes me very sad we've had the we've had the phrase fake it till you make it with shallan but in some cases it's block it out till you make it you know so just forget about it till you make it. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering with pattern, you know, probing into Shalon's past and trying to get her to dive back into that and admit what ha happened. I'm, I'm really wondering here if this is pattern, you know, pushing her to develop her light weaving abilities. Remember in the past, we saw that in order for Shalon to like level up, if you will, in her light weavingness, she has to share a truth, right? I think one of the, correct me if I'm wrong, one of the like defining moments for her was her admitting that she killed her father was kind of one of those mm -hmm. moments for her. So I'm wondering if that's what Pattern is doing here. If he's trying to, you know, lead her on into, you know, achieving whatever the next, you know, truth is that she needs to share. Perhaps that's what what's happening here in this chapter. Yeah, Shalon can only. You're right that light weavers have to, that their oaths are admitting truths about themselves, and that's probably what Pattern is doing here, trying to push her into a situation where she has to confront something in order to uh, increase her powers, like she's trying to do here. She's trying to work with her powers, work with Pattern without having to confront all of that stuff that's behind her. Speaking of uh, whatever it is, it, it definitely makes Shalon not just uncomfortable, but rather terrified of going in that direction. Right. Speaking of Shalon's past, we do have a flashback chapter, 61. And uh, Paul, I will throw this to you because you're not a fan of Lindavar at all. And you can... You can rant a little bit if you want about how terrible this chapter is. I'd be happy 
too. I'm really glad you you tossed it over to me. So this flashback chapter is good. I, I've enjoyed all of our flashback chapters with Shalon, honestly. Um, it's been an interesting mix, I think, just as a side on the side, the development. So it started almost in like a riddle sense. It was always some snippet of her past um, and kind of confusing and left us questioning. Um, and then now it's more of just actual stories of her growing up, things she remembers normally. Um, so this is a moment where Halloran has left and the father, Lindavar, is very mad at him. I, we don't fully know the, the stuff going on there, but we know he hates him or what he thinks he's going to do. So um, ultimately, he orders his assassination. But before that, um, now non-Balat um, kind of talks to Shalon and is like, hey, we should leave. Like, There's all this drama because Balat likes this girl and she's really great. He loves her and the dad is like, no, like, we need someone, like, from a better family and all this stuff, which you can take that as you will. Um, that's fine. Blunt decides he's going to leave. He, he's he's sick and tired of dealing with his crazy father. He's going to leave, and he wants, he's trying to tell Shalon to leave, too. And Shalon, actually, I thought this was pretty cool. Like, so her thought was, I can't leave. I need to stay because something kind of has a hold of their father. And if we all leave, then we're just giving him up to it. Um, which does make me really curious. At least has puts a little hope in my mind that maybe the father can be, could have been saved or recovered. I mean, he's dead now, but, um, you know, she's, Still has faith, which which is very like hopeful. Um, but uh, as it goes on, Shalon hears her father basically order the assassination of her beloved brother Helleran. Um, and what really drove me up the wall is at the end. The first of all, this chapter is titled "Obedience," um, and at the end, I believe the stepmother. I believe is titled "Obedience." I think that's right. Mm -hmm. um, at the end of the stepmother kind of steps in and is like, okay, like I haven't always been a fan of, of things going on. I, you know, I've kind of stuck through this through thick and thin, but a set like sending an assassin after your own son, like that's too far. Like you can't do this. Um, and he kind of goes berserk. The dad does storms off and says, why wouldn't anyone obey? Like if everyone would just obey, like there wouldn't be any problems. And, it just kind of made me sick to my stomach that moment did. So that's my, I was going to say short summary, but I feel like I've been talking forever. So, <laughs> so yeah. we know, we know that Lynn Devar is not a great person right now. We mm -hmm. also know that Shalon is the one who ends up killing her father. We don't know how this all goes down yet, but. Is there any way in your mind that there's any redemption arc at all <laughs> for Lindovar? Is there any way that you could 
see him not being the worst person you've ever met in these books. There is. There is. And the way that that happens is one of two things, but I think preferably both. Um, so it was rest here, I think in this champion one, that Shalon was there when her mom died, but she like has kind of like scraped that from her memory, like doesn't really remember it, but she knows she was there. Uh, and Balan even says like, you were there, you should know how bad dad is. Like we, we need to leave. Um, and I'm one way that could be redeemed is if maybe his current state is out of a state of grieving. Maybe he didn't kill his wife and there was some other major tragedy that happened, uh, but it kind of scarred him. The only other thing is like on his deathbed, like maybe he could come to in a sense. Um, or like near it. But other than that, I really don't see anything happening as far as the redemption arc. Elliot, any thoughts about chapter 61? Continuing on that, that thought of, you know, redemption possibilities for Lynn Devara, I, I too would, I, I'd go so far as, you know, personally myself to say that I don't believe any character or person is, is ever f completely beyond redemption there's always a path back but what I, what I might say for for this instance is i don't think there's any like he's misunderstood storyline that, that's going to come out of this I, I don't i don't think we're going to get some sort of a you know he he was just you know acting to protect himself or his family you know, I, I don't think it's ever going to get explained away that what he's doing is is okay i think that he's doing a lot of terrible things he's ruining his children's lives he's going to leave them broken and we, we've seen just how how broken shallan is but not say that he's completely beyond redemption we could see him turn from this and come back towards being a better person it's possible unlikely because he dies so I, I i doubt he would you know head on that path and then die but we'll see one other thing I want to highlight on this before we move on. Um, so I one of my two words was maniacal, and I chose that for this specifically. And just looking up like the dictionary definition of the word maniacal, there's like two things I wanted to point out. So like the basic definition is exhibiting extremely wild or violent behavior. Um, and that's what I saw, and I was like, that's pretty much fits to a T. It's very wild and very violent, like and stuff. But there's another definition. Um it's less descriptive, but it says suffering from mania. And I thought about that for a little while in that it's like kind of to a different perspective that perhaps the dad really is like in a state of suffering from something, right? Not like as much malicious intent, but that he he's like a victim almost um, of something greater that may have a hold of him in a sense. Uh, and, and I think with that, there could be some redemption arc or at least the, the starting of it. Um, but I think both of those seem pretty evident here. So I, I feel like that definition is pretty 
accurate for for the character and what we've seen. What I'm most frustrated with uh, Lin as a character is he seems very aggressive in his uh, discipline stance with his children. It's not all, like he's not just wanting order in his house. He is. It's almost as if he's getting petty and wanting vengeance against his children. He's doing things that he specifically knows will bother them as a way to punish them for not being obedient. Like, Balot is trying to speak up for their house. He's wanting to go with, uh, I don't remember her name, and and leave. Elita? Elita. Yeah, thank you. Is it Elita? Mm-hmm. And he goes and kills his axehound puppies just out of spite. Like he knows what they, what those mean to him. He knows the, the journey he's been on from animal cruelty to keeping, keeping uh, these axehounds and caring for them. And he just goes out of his way to make his son's life miserable. And then he threatens Shalon with making her, making sure she stays obedient with, uh, beating the staff and he knows that that will keep her in line if he threatens the staff so he's he's very systematic on how he's attacking his children and keeping them in line here that's what that's what frustrates me the most about, about yeah, I, I i agree that and like it's very manipulative and very intentionally abusive with with exactly what you're saying and also like at the end like just tons of threats and then the whole notion of walking out and be like, man, if everyone just obeyed me instead of talking back, everything, every, no one would get hurt, you know? And right. It's, it just, he's easy. Like there's, there's like Lindavar, then there's a space and then there's like Sadius in them. So that's, that's my current, <laughs> Uh, I don't know if I agree, but I understand where you're coming from. Tier list. That's my current disdain t- tier list. But yes, yeah, sure, yeah, I, I understand. Sadius is bad. I don't like him either. But it's just at, th- at this moment, I very, very much don't like Lindavar. Yeah, I I so. think it's a for me it's it's a different type of of dislike. Right? You, you used a word that I've been I've been trying to find it, and I think you hit it. It's it's abuse. What, what Lynn is doing is, in every definition, in every way, abuse. It's physical abuse. It's emotional abuse. It's, you know, take your pick. He's physically abusing his children and making them think it's their fault and playing on their fears and, and terrors. Like, it's just a – it makes your blood boil in ways that violence or evil doesn't necessarily. You know, taking advantage of someone who's – not only in a weaker position of you, but they're your own children. Like abusing your children just hits a, a a new low. Whereas, you know, Sadius sacrificing the lives of, of thousands of people he just thinks aren't worthwhile. Like, yes, you could absolutely argue that that's more damaging, more destructive, more evil, even perhaps than what Lindavar is doing. But the, the abusive nature of Lindavar is doing just like, doesn't sit well with you in a way that's worse than you know what like a Sadius or or even perhaps like a Teravangian is doing. Any more thoughts on sixty one? <laughs> 
think I've ranted long enough. <laughs> All right. Speaking of rants, well, 62. Dalinar uh, visits visits Kaladin. I, I really like this chapter. I listened and read this multiple times this week um, leading up to this because I'm a big fan of any Dalinar Kaladin interaction, even if they're not on the best of terms at the moment. But uh, Dalinar's reactions and Dalinar's intentions here are very clear and very honorable, even if Kaladin and Dalinar aren't seeing eye to eye right now. Uh, do you, either of you want to start this and we can go through it? Yeah, definitely. So before, I guess something I want to mention before we start talking about the Dalinar and Kaladin interaction, because I agree with you, it is fantastic. And I have a quote that I really want to read because it was actually really good. But but before we before we get into that, in the first half of the chapter, we get a little bit of Sil stuff and then some interesting revelations about Moash and his family. And we get a name coming back that we haven't seen for a while in uh, Rashon. Yep. But uh, first, let's talk about let's talk about Sil for a second, if we if we can, because at the beginning of this, Sil reveals that she did indeed see a cryptic at the the duel which we know is pattern pattern went to help renarin during the the duel and still noticed that she she again in this chapter you know brings up kind of her ooh i hate cryptics but i don't really know why kind of thing but she spins it in a positive way actually that i think might be good for kaladin and sill if they would think about this a little more she she spins it at the end of Yes, this means there's a cryptic out there. Yes, I don't really like them. They're they're maybe not in line with me, but this could mean that there's others like you. There's there's other people out there that are, you know, knights radiant in the, you know, in the making kind of thing. And and that I think is would would absolutely or could change Kaladin's approach and his mindset and motivations and things if he if he thought more about there are other knights radiant out there. Are there other surge binders working for good? Can I work with them? If he'd think more about that, I think that might help him out quite a bit. And and Sill is at least slightly aware of that being the case. Kaladin certainly has a lot of time to reflect at the moment, so maybe that will dawn on him. Although it it may not go quite as well as I'm thinking once he realizes that it's a uh, Shalon that who's the other surge binder here. There. On um, the best of, of terms. But then we get into Rashon. Rashon shows up again. And this starts to send Kaladin down into yet another spiral. We learn through Dalinar telling the story that it was actually Rashon who was responsible for getting Moash's family thrown into prison and killed. And that's quite the bit of that it wasn't necessarily Elokar directly. It was more of Elokar was taking advice from the wrong people kind of thing where Roshon was the the person interacting there. So in our mind, at least in my mind, this is now 
perhaps a, a mark in favor of Elokar saying he wasn't necessarily responsible for this. He was just, you know, being influenced by people who aren't fantastic like Rashon. But in Kaladin's mind, it it's not a, a mark for good. It's very much a mark in the for the worse because now Kaladin can tie things that happened in his life with Tien and his family back to Rashon and back through Elokar because right. he's now blaming Elokar for being the one who sent Rashon to his home hometown of Hearthstone, therefore now blaming Elokar for the death of Tien and all of that. And that makes this chapter end in a very dark place for Kaladin's perspective. I think there's a very specific moment in this conversation where Dalinar loses Kaladin, uh, loses his attention, loses his respect a little bit. And Dalinar mentions without knowing Kaladin's past, he mentions that they removed Rashon to a place he couldn't do any more harm. Yep. And the fact that he says that and Kaladin takes that so personal, that's when he switches off and says, I no longer have respect for Elokar. Like, he was already questioning it before that happened. And because Dalinar said that, like, he, he could have even worded it differently and it would have been been okay. But because he said that specifically, Dalinar not knowing what that means for Kaladin, but that I think there's a very specific point where Kaladin turns his brain off and says, no, this conversation isn't going anywhere for me anymore. I think you're absolutely right. So then, so then we get to the section that you were talking about Trevor with, with Dalinar and kind of the, the speech that, that Dalinar kind of gives the pep talk, if you will, that he gives to, to Kaladin and, and, like we just said, Kaladin's not really hearing what Dalinar is saying here, but he talks about two kind of different things that I, I do I do want to talk about. The first is he he tries to defend Elokar a little bit in saying that, hey, you as his personal bodyguard, you get to see the man behind the king. You know, you get to see the person who who is human, who makes mistakes. And you it, it's wrong to fault him for that. It's wrong to expect you know the king to be perfect because he's he's not gonna be perfect you know whereas whereas kind of from the outside everyone just sees you know grand king elokar and so he he kind of asks him to you know hey even if you don't respect the man respect the throne respect the the office that he that he holds and kaladin i don't know that he really hears that he he definitely isn't respecting that position by the by the end of the chapter but what were your what were your guys's thoughts on that before we go to the the part that I want to read. Kaladin by the end of this is almost fully on board with what Moash it has motivations for. So going into the duel, Mo Kaladin was prepared to send Moash on a month long, like deep patrol handle Moash's friends with Dalinar, like put them in jail, whatever for a, assassination attempt against Elokar and then protect Moash, but, you know, handle that. He's not considering that anymore. He's very much on the side of Moash by the end of this chapter. Very true. And, and this is one thing that 
I can only fault Kaladin for so much, but it's still just it, this is probably just the aspect of Kaladin's character that I don't like. Um, I I've, I feel like I've said this before, and, and every time he ends up in a bad spot, he just gets like incredible amounts of disdain for for the light eyes people, um, and that they're just the root of everything wrong, which is pretty true. Um, but <laughs> Um, for Kaladin, it's he, certainly true. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But but he just like always goes there and always gets in this rut. Um, and there's a lot of allusion to the wretch being back, I guess, through throughout all this. Um, which kind of made me sad. I was uh, glad we got rid of that, you know. Um, but yeah, um, I like how direct Dalinar was, and and Kaladin at least is starting to believe that. You know, Dalinar is still, like, an alright guy. Um, he's not the worst. But, yeah. He does not like Elokar or any of the others at all. Like, cannot deal with them. And I love how... I love how it ends... Well, not how it completely ends, because it does end on a rather dark note for Kaladin. But just before, it does try to inspire Kaladin to to rise above this, this negative feelings that he has. And I really love what Dalinar says. I, I, I hear, he says this, be the kind of man that others admire, whether they be light eyed or dark or that a dark eyes can lead that will change the world. And he's, he's responding to Kaladin's frustration of, you know, saying, well, I'm a dark eyes, you know, I'm always going to be downtrodden and, I love Dalinar's stance there of, you know, you want to change something, be the change, you know, stand up and be a man worthy of admiring and noticing. And I really love that, that sentiment or that piece of advice of, you know, if you, if you think something's wrong, change it yourself. Don't, don't, don't just assassinate people to, to get your way. Do be in yourself the change that you want to see in the world. And, and I think that's powerful. I don't think Kaladin hears a word of it. Cause like we said, he's already checked out at this point, but powerful words there from Dalinar. Yeah. Checked out is a good, good word for it. Dalinar doesn't really know how personal he made the conversation when he brought up the name Roshone. And so yeah. at, at this point, Dalinar is kind of talking to a, a brick, you know, that talk to the brick wall meme, uh, that, that mm -hmm. that's what's happening here. Kaladin is completely checked out. Any more, any more thoughts on Kaladin before we move on to two Shalon chapters? Let's talk about Shalon. All right. So Shalon has a ghost blood mission, which she'll get uh, instructions for here in a second. But before she does, she's having a span read conversation with Adolin. And... Did either did any of you catch this? I'm not gonna I'm not gonna give you too many hints, but did did there's a double specific wording here with with what Adolin's doing. Did either of you catch this? I don't think I did. I mean there I, I just imagined, you know, two high schoolers texting 
back and forth mm-hmm. basically here in this this you know hey what are you up to oh nothing much you know kind of idle so it got me curious what i missed i i before you explain trevor i did want to say that that was interesting i feel like we get a glimpse into what texting would have been like if that was a thing in like medieval times right <laughs> I, I can't say i've ever seen that but it was it was funny i thought the same thing all will be revealed by next week maybe the week after i don't remember how i'm splitting the chapters but uh Adolin specifically says that he's bored and he would like her to come visit him because he can't visit her. And that's all I'll say. Is he not like welcome in Sub- she's in Sabariel's camp? She right? is in Sabariel's camp. Is he just like not welcome there? That's my first thought. Either that or is I know they're starting this whole like Knights Radiant order. See like doing some kind of training or something with that and can't leave? I don't know. I did not catch that. Do you know Elliot? I, I don't. I totally passed over that and just assumed that he's busy with whatever plans, you know, Dalinar's working on for his invasion of the Parshendi part of the Shattered Plains, so intrigued what, what Adolin's up to because, yeah, I didn't read anything into that. All will be Maybe revealed in short time. At his new... Maybe he's just busy looking at his new shard blades and plate and stuff, you know. Or his fashion magazines or whatever else he's got. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so they're writing back and forth. Shalon is keeping an eye on this hiding spot that the Ghostbloods told her to pick up instructions from. Little does she know the instructions are already there and they were there before they even told her about it. So she's just wasting her time. But, uh, which is explained later. But she finds Yatil in this, like, the floor below her doing the same thing that she's doing, waiting for somebody to walk up to the tree. And so she surprises her. They actually get off on a pretty good, like, pretty good basis. Like, like obviously, they don't really trust each other, but they're, they're not killing each other. So that's good. And they do this mission-ish together. So either one, if you want to talk about this for a bit. Yeah, definitely. So this, this is a fun little chapter with you know shallan teaming up with the creepy mask lady yatil that we've been at least i've been a little terrified of up until this point so i was a little nervous when shallan went down to confront her. i was like you know you're gonna get yourself stabbed shallan like, what are you doing but but you're right it does work out pretty well ultimately and and is it off pretty cleverly honestly the whole thing from from start to finish she's getting pretty comfortable in this this role of veil if you will, she's clumsy or uncertain as she was when she was first, you know, interacting with the, the ghost blood. She's getting pretty confident. She play. She even plays Yatil off on the Ardents in the next chapter, like kind of seamless. Well, not no, it's, it is this chapter. Pretty seamlessly, she's she just kind of ad libs the whole thing and says, "Oh my, my sister won't take her mask off. Please help." 
and Yato's like, "Do not take my mask off," <laughs> and it's not, and it's not a joke for her. So Shalons puts Yatil in a situation where she can't follow her into the room, and it. She also gets an alibi from the Ardens, and so she she actually plays this really well. Oh, it's brilliant, and even beyond that, she is exposing Yatil to like the public. You know, right. she, she's getting a a ghost blood, some FaceTime, and that is, that could be, you know, a weapon to use later on. Just the fact that now there's some ardents that are going to remember, oh, yeah, that weird mask person the other day. You know, that could that that alone could be a factor. You know, she's starting to maybe weaken the ghost blood's secrecy just a little bit by that. And, and for her, you know, making all of that up on the spot, like, you know, as they were going in, that that was quite the move. That was masterstroke. Yeah. And we know there, there's one comment. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead, Trevor. Not all you. There's there's one comment along the way there that I wanna I wanna actually point out. Shalon is is talking to Yaptil, trying to get a little bit of information out of her, and she makes some kind of kind of offhand comment about how, you know, oh your your master is such and such. And Yato stops her and is like, hold on a second. You have that backwards. He's my student. And there's like, you know, kind of awkward pause. And, you know, use, I as a reader, you know, I awkward pause. Wait a second. Is is Yato the, like, mastermind here? And and Marais is just, you know, the front. You right. know, the... Marais is actually the end. He's being put as the, you know front one to that way if he gets assassinated it's not a, a much of a big deal like is that what's going on Lost it without, without you know well not too fast but, but like on a second this maybe yato is much bigger of a player than we thought at first yeah when they, when she goes into this hospital room or the ardent room or whatever monastery she's meeting with talonel who we saw at the end of the Wave Kings, we saw in one of our interludes. She doesn't know who it is, and none of the art. We're assuming none of the Ardens know who it is, um, or even if Dalinar believes what he's saying, like because he's he's claiming to be a herald, so uh, we don't know if they actually believe him or whatever. But we know that he's Talonel, and he has a very interesting reaction to Shalon's uh, light weaving. Did you, did either of you catch this? Oh, enormous uh, reaction. Um, this this kind of like threw me back a little bit. So for one, this is something I was extremely excited for. I just kind of alluded to that. Um, that, that, Shalon was gonna meet with with Talano. I've been so curious about him. We haven't seen him right since the end, very end of the Wave Kings. We saw him in um, one interlude, and he was being transferred from Kolinar, where he was at the end of the Wave Kings, to the Shattered Plains at Dalinar's request. But okay, okay, couldn't quite answer in that interlude. Was like when? When did this happen? And this totally answers like all those questions. It it's now. You know, Talano is here, and Shalon is meeting him. So. Yeah. 
True, true, which is great. Um, so yeah, so Shalon starts to surge behind and Talonel just like he just like gets up and like rushes at her, doesn't doesn't he? And like mm-hmm. it's like what what's I don't remember his exact like what he said and stuff, but he, he kind of just had a panic attack almost, like what's what are you doing and stuff, and then she stops and he kind of calms down, but he kind of like freaks out for a second. Yeah. Which was weird to me. Um, out of everyone around, I, I guess I would guess that he's one of the most chill people with <laughs> search planning because he's probably one of the few people who like knows what it is and stuff. But maybe that's a big red flag that it's really bad or something. So I don't know what to make of it, but it was a very note noteworthy, you know. Right. It's definitely got to be big. There's a couple mentions. There's a couple mentions in here that I want to highlight between chapters 63 and 64. Gavilar's name is actually brought up more than once here by Yatil, by Amaram, who's about to walk through the door. And there's another character here, Borden, who was in. Uh, who was in the interlude bringing Talonel to the Shattered Plains, and he's Dalinar's, he's one of Dalinar's men, but he's walking, he's also walking in with Amaram. Amaram is giving, or Borden is giving Amaram access to Talon. We don't know if that's with Dalinar's knowledge, because Dalinar seems to trust Amaram at this point, but we don't know what the relationship is there of, is Amaram hiding behind Dalinar's back? to go see Talonel or, or and uh whose allegiance is Borden's uh we don't know all of the p- politics there but couple couple characters to key in on here oh i'm i'm definitely coming out of this chapter assuming that Borden is Amram's inside man here because in that in the chapter 64 you know they're they're worried about the ardents coming by and knowing that they're there. And those are Dalinar's ardents, you know. Right. So I, I think Borden is worried about word getting back to Dalinar that he just let Amram in to see the guy that no one's even supposed to know is here. Right. So I, I, I took this as hundred percent. Borden is one of Dalinar's trusted agents, but is actually in Amram's pocket. Right. Okay, I have I have a, a thought slash question. It's a question if it can be answered. If not, then we'll just leave it where it is. So um so Dalinor had Talonel brought from Kolinar to Shattered Plains, right? Right. Um and Amram is the head of the new Knights Radiant thing. It's right. very possible, I feel like, that this isn't some insider job that this is just if anyone should get to know or talk to this guy maybe it should be Amarim. i don't know if they all right so so all the the high princes right shouldn't they know the herald like who the heralds are right and this guy has like the same name shouldn't they be like at least curious I, i'm assuming that's why they had this guy brought over right so he's at least peculiar so this guy shows up to Kolinar claiming to be a herald with a shard blade. He has a shard blade. And 
obviously Dalinar hears about this, and so Dalinar has him shipped from. Everybody assumes he's crazy, and um, because he's mm-hmm. rant, he's ranting the same thing over and over. Uh, but he has a shard blade, so they're trying to figure out uh, what what that's about. So they ha- they ship him from Kolinar to the Shattered Plains, so Dalinar could look into it. Okay, I see. Okay, I could see it being either an insider thing or just simply like Amram could have known and just stopped by, or could have known from Dalinar, even though I know. Dalinar's been cautious with Amarine, as well as Kaladin said, but I feel like they're still colleagues, right? Um, right. Since so. my I guess my first thought wasn't towards Borden as an inside guy. I thought maybe he was just Dalinar's guy who knew about him, had been around and was like, yeah, I'll take you kind of thing. But yeah, that was my first thought at least. I think that definitely could be the could be the case. I'm I think I'm still leaning towards he's the inside guy, but we'll we'll see. Your your point about Amram being the head of the new Knights Radiant does does perhaps play play into this, but I did I think of note of importance here is the fact that Amram doesn't seem to question at all who this guy is. He seems to be like in awe of him, like absolutely accepting and agreeing that this is Talonel, the Herald, the guy. Right. Uh, we got the assumption before, of, you know, maybe Dalinar, Elokar, everyone else, they're just thinking this guy's crazy. Like, there's no way he could be the Herald. Amram doesn't think that. Amram thinks this is the real guy. Right. And so that, like, that's big. Why does Amram jump to that conclusion when everyone else is jumping to the Oh, he must be insane. Conclusion: No, that no one else does. Amram's also been caught trying to figure out more about the Voidbringers, figure out more about Barshendi, trying to get to the Shattered Plains, like Shalon and Yasna were. So, Amram certainly has ulterior motives that Dalinar's not aware of. It's just what is what does all that entail? And and maybe a hint at that has to do with the name that Trevor you already brought up, and that's Gavilar. Amram says, and I quote, when he sees Talon, he says, Gavilar, we have done it. Like that's not a lot of words, but man, does that say a lot to me of Amram of Gavilar, we have done it. Is that what Gavilar was trying to do that the Parshendi assassinated him for? Was Gavilar trying to bring back the heralds was he did he somehow figure out a way to summon them or bring them back is that what the parshendi keyed into and we're like oh we got to stop that you're dying tonight you know kind of thing and somehow was amram in on that clearly it seems like he was that seems to be a pretty big revelation right there so if you remember back to the prologue of this book yasna walks in on her father Gavilar, Amram is in the room, and two Parshendi are in the room. About 45 minutes later, Gavilar gets assassinated. Yeah. And the Parshendi said he should not have revealed his plans to us. So Amram was there. And 
now fast forward here, Amram seems to have be celebrating something that Talonel is here or something. Also, Yatil is talking to Shalon in the previous chapter that why uh why are you interested in Dalinar's random crazy person? Because Dalinar's loyal to the throne. And Yatil says, well, outwardly, yes. But his brother knew a lot of cool things, and we don't know how much Dalinar knows. So Gavilar's been being mentioned quite a bit here with Dalinar, with Amram, with Parshendi, um, all kind of together here. So... Paul, any thoughts on that before I take us to something slightly different? Take us away. All right. Some more information that could be equally big is Honor Blades. So we get two little hints here about way more information about what Honor Blades are. Shalon actually thinks to herself in the end of Chapter 63 when she meets Talonel and she realizes, you know, oh, this guy is claiming to be a herald. She kind of runs through like, he can't be a herald. Heralds are supposed to glow like the sun and speak with voices and wield honor blades. Like, hold on a second. <laughs> Full pause. Like, I missed it before, but I had not seen anything tying honor blades to the blades that the heralds wield before. That's huge. And then it practically gets confirmed in the very next chapter because Amaram is keying in on honor blades and he he mentions them or they're referenced in in conjunction with this treasure and this like Talonel, I guess, apparently said something about honor blades or a treasure being on the shattered planes and and Borden heard it, but no one else did, or something like that. And so that's that's why Amram is here. He's he's trying to get Talonel to tell him where this stuff is. And they kind of walk out of the room saying something like, all right, let's go. Let's, let's go find this right now before someone else does. So this brings up a ton of questions for me. First off, is this true? Am I drawing the right conclusion here? Are those blades that we saw in the prelude, you know, the ones that all got in the ground, except for Talonel's because he wasn't there. Are those the honor blades? Is this a finite set of, you know, those 10 blades that's crazy two what are the powers you know associated with honor blades if this truly is you know like of the heralds if by wielding an honor blade are you wielding like the power of a herald when you're doing that and then lastly i know I'm throwing out a lot of questions here but lastly we theorized that zeth is perhaps wielding an honor blade are we not now talking about zeth wielding like one of 10 honor blades, one of the blades of one of the 10 heralds, like mind blown. That's a crazy revelation. Right. Paul, help, help me digest this. This is, this could be nuts. I'm really glad you're making these connections right now. And, and where my first thought is going is back to, I believe the first time it's mentioned, right. With the Parshendi, weren't they just like, Oh, like it's like a surge binder. I hope mm -hmm. not. Like, I think it's just an honor blade. Yeah. Like, I'm pretty sure that was basically how it's presented. Like, 
Oh, like he's not a he's probably not a search meta. He probably just has an honor blade, like he's faking it or something. And this makes me think that honor blades are way cooler than even like surge binding. Right. Um, and stuff like way, way, way beyond that. Um uh, and I I am very on board with the Zeth has an honor blade in that it's the ten like for the ten heralds. That makes a lot of sense to me. Let um so can, can I jump in real that, quick? But yeah, Char's gonna mess it up. <laughs> so now I I do want to re- reaffirm some of what you're saying here. So the first time we see Honor Blades mentioned, the Parshendi are trying to rationalize Kaladin's surge binding that they just saw. And they're they're telling each other, no, it's probably just a an honor blade. So that that could be mistakable for the for an honor blade is is surge binding. So we've had a lot of talk of are Zeth and Kaladin in the same order. Could Zeth have a Windrunner honor blade that gives him Windrunner powers, but Kaladin's an actual Windrunner, and so Zeth doesn't have to have a spren to do it. He just has the sword that that Syl really doesn't like. Two things. Yes. <laughs> One, yes. Um, that that's exactly what I was gonna say. Like that would explain a lot. Um, right when when Syl saw Zeth, she kind of had the assumption that he had no sprint. Right. Um, and, and so this honor blade would kind of fill in that puzzle piece there. Um, two. Next time Kaladin and Zeth meet, right? He, Kaladin's got to get that honor blade from him because he had the whole. Because if it's one of the Herald's blades, it's not like tainted like the, he views the Knight's Radiance, right? For betraying, I'm assuming he wouldn't feel the same way, right? That was his whole stipulation. I don't want to use a shard blade because of what yeah. happened with the Knight's Radiant. I like can't do that, right? But if he got an honor blade also that just raised another question for me if he got an honor blade somehow this is hypothetical for a different order could he then be a windrunner and whatever the other one is mm. but we're, the, the, we're down a lot of what if trails <laughs> hypothetical <laughs> hypothetical great, not great important. question but if he got the the windrunner one himself i think that would be really sick does that make him like and, a super I mean, windrunner? Also, that's yeah, exactly windrunner what I was going to ask. Like, <laughs> right, if if he's surge binder plus honor blade, like is this you know double powers? This is craziness. Maybe that's how he fights off the storm uh, form Prashendi. You know, he becomes windrunner two point and he I, pushes the whenever they make the high storms and throw it out on calendar and just pushes it back with his windrunner two Oh man, yeah. Oh man, I I want to point out too, if if we're drawing the right conclusions here, if if we're thinking about honor blades in the right context, it truly is this set of ten swords that were wielded by the heralds. I'm trying to think about you know, okay, where's the rest of them? Well, we know where one is because Talonol had one. Showed up to Kalinar wielding a shard blade, which. I guess we would be assuming would be his honor blade. 
like where did that go we're assuming that down our car somebody has it right like kind of locked away in a vault perhaps or they put it in a box like <laughs> is somebody going to pick that up and and get a bunch of you know surge binding abilities from talonel's order which I think we were even told recently what Talonel's order is, right? He's the herald of the stone wards. Mm -hmm. Correct? He, yep. He's regarded as the stone sinew, they said, right? And, and yeah. so I took that as being a, the stone ward um, herald. So, so I, if if someone were to pick that blade up, has no one like tried that yet? Would they, you know, gain those abilities? No, wait, we don't. We don't know anyone picked it up. It could just still be there where he dropped it, and no one bothered to pick it up. Right? <laughs> That's sure. a little far fetched. You don't think someone would go for a shard blade? I, I mean, we never. <laughs> <laughs> People don't mind. They're like, eh, whatever. Eh. So, yeah. So, the, so where where is that? Is that going to come into play? Is is his shard blade or honor blade going to going to become a big factor into this and? I guess if we're if we're thinking about this, you know, where are the rest of the honor blades? It it, it makes sense, I suppose, that that Zeth could have gotten a hold of one if if the heralds really did leave nine of them just you know in the ground. Did people just kind of find those and and they've been you know floating out in the world in various places? And there's you know nine unaccounted for honor blades out there somewhere, and Zeth just happens to have one. Like that make that makes sense, I guess. You know, there's if if Zeth has one, then I guess there's eight more that are bouncing around out there somewhere that somebody's gotten a hold of scary thought there's a in my leather bound i won't get it out right now but there's a really cool art piece in the leather bound that's all uh that has the nine uh swords in the ground uh, during the prelude so it's some really cool artwork out there of the the swords there So next time you'll have to show us because you can't just say that and then show us. So. Um, if I knew which volume it like, was, yeah, yeah. It, if yeah, it's really cool. I promise. Just imagine it, though. Yeah, it's, just it's cool. Just take my word for it. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. All right. Any any closing thoughts on this episode? I do actually. I have one more quote that I want to read. I've been reading a lot this uh, this chapter. I've got one more. This this chapter sixty four actually closes out with a cool quote from Shalon herself, which I think sums up a lot about what where Shalon's at in her journey and where she's going. She's talking to Yatil. Am I saying that right now? No, I'm mm -hmm. second my, guessing myself. Yatil. Yatil. And yep. And she's. She's like passing the information on to her and then they're kind of parting ways. And Shalon says this, I seek the truth, wherever it may be, whoever may hold it. That's who I am. And I think that's, that's a cool summary of, you know, what Shalon's all about, right? She, she really is just trying to find the truth and she's trying to, you know, infiltrate the different places that she is to try and figure out who has the truth and who knows the truth and where she's, where she's at, what she can do with it. It's, it's all about, you know, figuring stuff out for her. I noticed though, that three of her is a little bit ironic as well, because she says she's all about truth and that she seeks the truth, but she sure uses a lot of deceit in her path of seeking the truth. 
She, right. She's lying to a lot of people, including herself, about who she is, all this kind of stuff in her pursuit of truth. So I know I know Pattern enjoys that that irony, but it's a, it's something interesting thought to think about. I'm wondering if that's a Shalon thing or if that's kind of maybe indicative of her entire order of of light weavers. But I, I thought it was a cool quote that encapsulated a lot about who Shalon is right now. And Yatil told her to get a ghost blood uh, tattoo. Oh yes, she's accepted, right? It ends with her getting officially accepted into the Ghost Bloods. She says she can get it wherever. She just has to prove that she has it next time they they see each other. So, which I guess for Shalon, can she just light weave it on and then take it off later? I, I was just thinking that, like for Shalon, that's probably pretty easy as long as she remembers to put it, keep putting it on every time. She could she could create an, uh, a tattoo illusion pretty easily i bet yeah all right any closing thoughts paul before i close this out i mean not necessarily about this chapter but going forward yeah um this was a really like fun week um but i would honestly say other than like the the talonel stuff it wasn't super groundbreaking but we are getting pretty far into the book and so i'm really hopeful with or next week, or maybe next two weeks, that things are really gonna kind of full force. Um, I'm really hoping that we find out more about Honor Blades um, and stuff. So I'm I'm very very optimistic about our next few next few weeks here as we start near the end of this book. Cool. Part part four is what rocked our worlds in in way of kings so i have high expectations for part four of Mm -hmm. words of radiance it's true it's true i as well let's keep reading and find out if it meets them uh thanks for joining me this week paul and elliot and we will reconvene next week Mm -hmm. let's do it